For those of you I haven't met yet, my name is Zach. Um, I'm one of the leaders here at the church, and I'm just super excited to, uh, to dive into God's Word with you and learn stuff with you and uh, worship God next to you. And uh, We're actually continuing in our series called The Good Shepherd. Well, uh, we're, we're uh, continuing in our series called The Good Shepherd, where we're really diving into Psalm 23 super deep, and, and we're just learning about the relationship between God the Father, who is a shepherd, and us as his sheep, right? Because a lot of times we love to think of Jesus as our friend or love to think of Jesus as our king, but God often describes himself as a, a shepherd to us, as a shepherd to us. And, and, and so we really need to realize our relationship to God. We need to come to him not only as children, but we need to come to him as sheep, right? Recognizing that we are weak and feeble creatures who really uh, can't exist on our own and need our shepherd. And that God is not a shepherd because shepherd's a title he associates himself with just because he loves shepherds. It's because we act a lot like sheep, right? I mean, I've used this example before. I've seen sheep and how they walk towards the electric fence and get shocked. (laughs) And then they take a minute and then they just walk right back into the electric fence. And And then they're always just shocking themselves. And that's us, right? That's us with sin. Right? And, you know, we touch it, we get hurt, and we're like, ah, let's try it again. Maybe this time we'll be a little better, and then we get hurt again, right? And so, and so God is this constant shepherd in our lives. And so we learned about how, how Yahweh, our God, he restores us. He restores us. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. It says, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. We learned how to sit next to our shepherd and how... We think of all the green pastures that we want in our lives, all the still waters, and we have this fantasy of what we want in life, what restored and good life looks like. And so we dream up just all of these ideas of what a good life looks like. But the thing is, the the still waters and and the green pastures, they only exist next to our shepherd. They only exist in the leading of our shepherd. We learned how Yahweh, our God, he leads me into paths of righteousness for his namesake. Meaning that as he leads us, he's never going to do anything that's contrary to his glory or his name. So as we follow God, we have to make sure that we're not about our own glory and our own name, but we're about God's name. Because a lot of the time we want God's plan, but we don't want his authority over our lives. We want to know, like, oh, God, what's God's plan for my life? What's the awesome things that are going to happen in my life? But we neglect to say, well, Lord, you are God, and I am but a man. Right? And so we, we learned about that balance between our will and God's will. And this week, guys, we are going to endeavor through how our God comforts. And so I'm going to read Psalm 23. Let's read Psalm 23 together. So then you know for you in the back, I, I put the slides up there, the verses. In verse 1 of Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Are you ready? Jesus, we pray to you for you have authority over all things. I pray that your hand would guide us. I pray that for for those of us whose hearts have been hearted by struggle and trial, that you would continue to soften our hearts, Lord, so that we may receive what you have to say to us. So many times I'll read the Bible and I'll listen to sermons, but I won't receive it in my heart because I'm so bitter. I'm so angry. I'm so doubtful. Holy Spirit, I pray that I would be forgotten up here and that anything I have to say would be totally eliminated from our minds. But your words, Lord, I pray that they would just be etched upon our hearts for all of eternity. Deal with us bountifully tonight, Jesus. We love you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God has a plan for your life. Just wait and see. Have you guys ever heard that? When you're going through struggles, you ever heard, I know it doesn't make sense now, but God has a plan, right? Have you guys heard that? Or or maybe God works in mysterious ways. One day you'll laugh about this trial, right? Have you guys heard heard things along these lines, right? Have you you heard these like, God has a plan. I know it's all going to work together for the good. I know it's going to be okay. Don't worry. You just don't know God's plan. It's all going to work out. How many of you, as sweet as this sounds, are like, yeah, but it still sucks now. <laughs> you know, and, and do you know what? It is, it's, uh, there's a lot of comfort we receive about things getting better later on, right? There, there's, there's a lot of comfort, in, and I take a little bit of comfort in knowing that life isn't always going to suck, right? When I'm going through trials and when I'm going through struggles, you know, it, it, this should give us a little bit of hope. But how many of like, us can honestly, like... When people tell me that, oh, yeah, God's got a plan. It's all going to work out. That doesn't negate how much it sucks now, right? It, 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 it doesn't negate the, uh, the amount of pain you experience in present trials, right? And, and, and so, you know, I, I, I often try not to say, oh, yeah, but just wait until the future, right? Wait until things eventually get better. Because though things may get better later on, Trials are inevitable in our lives, right? In every season of our lives, there's, there's, there's struggles that are inevitable. For, for us to say that in our lifetime, there will be a point where there's absolutely no struggles, I think that's a, a pipe dream in an imperfect world, right? Uh, but though things, there's seasons of great triumph and great fruit. There's many seasons of suffering and valleys, but in everything, there's a little bit of suffering to be had, right? There's always a little bit of something going on. You see, God is continually promising us a better life in the future. That's scriptural. There's so many promises that God has for us in the future. And these things we should cling on as the Hebrews did. They, they clung to this, this promise that the Messiah was going to come. And this is what kept them going in many trials. However, however, when the suffering is alleviated or medicated by looking at life in the future it will cause us to miss the blessings in the present. 
So when we're seeking to medicate our pain by thinking about some fantasy in the future, we will often miss the hidden blessings that are in the present. We will often miss it. And it's, and it's a very sad thing when, when, when our reality is distorted by this desire for a next season. You guys have heard me pre- preach this many times. I did an entire series on it. Prisons and palaces about, about living here and right now. About living in the moment. About being faithful now and not worrying about the future. There's a lot of hope to be had in the future. But here's the reality. Life is full of valleys. Life is full of valleys. And you see the valley that David describes here. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And it doesn't say death. Though I walk through the valley of death. right? Because that would be a road you don't want to go down. Right? Valley of death, is, it's not a road you necessarily want to go down. But he says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Meaning that there is this, this shadow of evil around. There, there's but glimpses and there's, there's experiences of fear. It's a shadow of death. It's the anticipation of trial. And it, it, it's things that affect your emotions and your circumstance, but don't necessarily kill you. And I think that that is what the common man struggles with. Things that are just hard enough to get to us, right? Just like if it was just a little lighter, we would be able to handle it. But it's just a, it's just a little hard. And it makes life difficult. You see, there is a level of inevitability in trials. And so I, I, I don't want to preach. And, and this isn't popular preaching. It's not popular preaching for me to say, do you know what? Even with the life of the Lord, you're going to experience some hard times. Because there's many preachers that make millions of dollars on telling you otherwise, right? There's many preachers that make millions of dollars telling you that if you follow the Lord, blessings will overflow and you'll never get sick. And if you chop off your right hand, it'll grow back as long as you tithe, right? It's not popular preaching for me to tell you guys. It's not popular preaching for me to tell you guys that even the life with the Lord involves struggles. And this is human life. We live in a broken world. You see, we will face them. There's a healthy way of looking at trial and suffering. There's a healthy way of looking at it, and there's an unhealthy way of looking at it. I'll, I'll give you briefly three unhealthy ways, three unhealthy ways to look at trials. And when I say trials, I mean difficulties in relationships, difficulties in your job, in your workplace, in your schools, right? Difficulties in your marriage or in your home life, difficulties that maybe somebody has wronged you or hurt you, or maybe you have brought the difficulties upon yourself, right? That's often the trials I face is things like just me being stupid, right? And God having to bring the rod like, like, ah, I won't do it again, I promise. But there's three unhealthy ways to look at trials. Three unhealthy ways to look at, at suffering. The first unhealthy way to look at a trial is that trials are simply an inconvenience. That is a very unhealthy way of looking at trials. Trials are simply an inconvenience. We see them as a hindrance to our plans or to our goals. When we hit hard times, rather than seeing them as a time to refine us, we actually see them as just an obstacle we have to hurdle. Oh, I just have to get through it. I just have to power through it. You see, those of us that are competitive and competitive by nature, for those of you that played sports, sometimes you may uh, approach trials in this manner. Oh, I just got to buckle down. I got to push through it, right? I got to push through it. You see, those of us that are competitive, they, we, we see it as just 
Another obstacle. Another obstacle. You see, but in reality, trials, they're not as much obstacles that we need or hurdle. They're more like conditioning. And for those of you that are in, weren't in sports, I'll tell you, conditioning is the time you spend before the game making sure that you're fit enough for the game, right? So I remember any time I was in sports, our coaches would just make us run just amounts of, of miles that are not necessary for real life. We, we, we would just run and run and run and run. And, and we're like, what is the point of this? However, when we finally reached the game, we weren't tired at all, right? And so some of us see, see trials as, as obstacles that we need to power through. However, trials should be more looked at as conditioning, refining us, sharpening us. So an unhealthy way of looking at trials is merely an inconvenience because this will cause people to get competitive and when they can't make that hurdle, right? When they can't overcome it right away, they get frustrated. Another way, an un- other unhealthy way of looking at trials is that trials are burdens that ought to be avoided. That there are burdens ought to be avoided. Some people live in a fantasy world where it's just, it's all prancing with their ponies in the gun drop forest, right? That's, 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 have you ever, people when hard times hit, you ever get those people that are just too perky, right? Just way too perky, just way too optimistic in the whole thing. It's like, you know, oh, my grandma died, praise the Lord. You know, like, and there's, there's people like this, I'm like, this should be affecting you a little deeper. As we said before, trials come. And, and, and so many people, when they look at trials, they see it as a, as a burden that should be avoided. They don't want to touch trials. They want, don't want to deal with them, so they ignore them. And they're always dodging trials, right? When trials hit, they either ignore it or, or, or they try to mask it with fake joy, with fake happiness. They put on a mask and they, they put on a smile, but inwardly they're suffering, and you know, in Psalm 55, David said this. He said, so I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Indeed, I would wander far off and remain in the wilderness. I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and the tempest. <laughs> David is saying, if I had wings, I would avoid all trials. If I were like a dove, I would just fly away each time. All right? If I were able to avoid every single trial, I would. That, that's, that's straight from the mouth of David, the anointed one. You see, trials aren't meant to be avoided because for the Christian, there's purpose in them. There's specific purpose in trials. There's, there's meaning in them. And when you mask it, when you avoid it, and when you ignore it, You're doing yourself a disservice and you eventually become very emotionally unhealthy because you don't deal with the deep issues inside of you. And you also hurt those around you because you're fake. There's another way, uh, unhealthy way of looking at trials. Some people allow their trials to define them. Some people allow their trials to define them. Here's what I mean. That some people cannot stop talking about their trials. You know those people too, right? Some people just cannot stop talking about the struggles that they have. They wear it on the outside. They wear it on their sleeve. Their hearts are on their sleeve every single time. They cannot stop talking about their trials. Listen, trials are always going to be around, but they shouldn't define who you are. 
They shouldn't define who you are. It says constantly in the Bible to put on Christ. To put on Christ. So if you are wearing Christ, you can't be wearing your trials as well. Some people have their trials on the outside for everyone to see. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying to lack transparency with your friends. And to, I'm not saying to lack seeking help and guidance and advice. I'm not saying that at all. However, if you are constantly in who you are is encapsulated in the struggles that you go through, people aren't going to genuinely know how to help you. People aren't going to know how to help you if everything's a burden. And so this is an unhealthy way of looking at trials where you're going through a divorce or you're going through, you've been through just, uh, you've been betrayed by somebody. Or maybe you have uh, issues at home, issues with your parents, issues with your siblings. You see, you're not defined by your family issues. You're not defined by your relational issues. You're defined by what Christ has called you, which is righteous and free. We are to deal with them in an appropriate manner. However, it's not who you are. Listen, if you've gotten in a divorce in here, you're not a divorcee. That's not who you are. You're a daughter or son of Christ who happens to be going through a divorce in a hard time right now. Right? If you are having struggles with your parents, you're not a bad kid. You're a daughter or a son of Christ who happens to be going through some struggles with your parents right now. And so we need to make sure that we disassociate our identity and our trials. They're two separate things. Amen? So those are three unhealthy ways of looking at trials. Trials are an inconvenience. They should be avoided or they define who you are. And I love it. I love it. Love what David says right here. He says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. In Mark chapter 4, we have it up here. We're going to have it up here on the screen. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, if you look at it on here, on the same day when evening had come, This is with Jesus and his disciples. He said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was not in the stern. He was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they woke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Okay, so let me paint you a picture right now. I'm going to paint you a picture of what's happening. The disciples and Jesus, they get into a boat. They get into a boat and Jesus says, hey, let's, let's go to the other side. We, we got some ministry to do on the other side of the, of the lake. Let, let, let's do this. On the other side of the sea, let's, let's take the boat and let's go to the other side. And they're like, okay. In the middle of, of their voyage, which would take a few hours, probably like half a day to get to the other side, and in the middle of their voyage, voyage, a huge tempest, a huge storm arose upon the sea. You see, where they were in the sea, there was, they're covered by mountains where the winds, all winds from all four corners would come in and just make these huge waves and these huge storms. And these disciples who, most of them are very skilled fishermen who are used to being out at sea, they're getting afraid. And so it it tells you something about the severity of the storm if these people who live at sea 
are afraid for their lives, right? And all the while, Jesus, he had gotten tired, so he went down into the stern and he was sleeping. He was napping on a pillow. And when the wind and the waves, when they're crashing and there's water filling up the boat, the disciples say, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? This is many of us when we go through trials, when we go through storms. We say to God, do you you even care? Do you even care about us? Because if you cared about us, this wouldn't be happening right now. You don't even care. And some of us, we, 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 we point that finger at God, right? You, you don't even care. I'm convinced that you don't even care because all this stuff is happening and it seems like you're silent. It seems like you don't care. If you cared, you would do something about this, Jesus. If you cared, you would help me right now. If you cared, you'd make it all go away. If you cared, I wouldn't be so scared right now. You don't even care. In verse 39, we continue in this passage. In verse 39, it says, Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful How is it that you have no faith? Jesus asked a peculiar question in the midst of kind of a death match between nature and man, right? Jesus asked this peculiar question. He's like, why are you so fearful? Why do you have so little faith? Well, it it seems like an awkward question for Jesus to ask considering they were all about to die, right? It seems like a very awkward question. It seems like a very uh, irrational question to ask, Wait, I had no faith? You were sleeping. We were dying. And, you're, and you're, you're calling, you're saying I was wrong to be afraid? I was wrong? You see, Jesus is not saying, didn't you know that I was going to calm it eventually? Didn't you know? Don't you know that the storm was going to be over soon? Jesus didn't say that. No, he's saying, listen, listen to this, guys. I am in the boat with you. Why would you ever be in fear in my presence? Here's a question that I wrestle with when I look at this passage. And this is a question that we all need to face as Christians. When we face trials, when we face hard times, here's here's something that we all need to really truly ask ourselves. Because faith isn't necessarily measured on knowing that You know, the waves are going to stop eventually. Because the waves could have easily just wrecked them. My question to you guys, and this is a question that I have to ask myself all the time when I read this passage. If the boat sank, would it matter? If the boat sank... Would it matter? So let's say Jesus is still asleep. Let's say all the waves are crashing down on them. Let's say all of a sudden the mass just falls down. 
the sides of the boat start to cave in and water starts to overflow. The disciples, no matter how hard they try, try to save the boat, but eventually they fall down with the ship, with Jesus. If Jesus is in the boat with you, does it matter that you sink? This is a question we need to ask ourselves as Christians because another way of asking that question is, does Jesus truly satisfy you? Does Jesus truly satisfy you? Because here's the thing, if the boat sinks, what do I lose? If all I have is Jesus. If the boat sinks and Jesus is in it with me, all I lose is my money, my friends, my life. But if I am a Christian, I gave up my life a long time ago. I gave up my life the minute I accepted Christ. I said, not my will, but yours be done, O Lord. I said, my life is yours. That's what it means when you say, I accept Jesus Christ into my heart. It's saying, I'm dying to who Zach Schullabarger is. And I'm going to allow Christ to live in me. So if the boat sinks, ladies and gentlemen, even if God decides, do you know what? Maybe I'm not going to take this trial away from you. If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the only one that satisfies us, if the boat sinks, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. And, and so our, our comfort in trials, our comfort in hard times, is not in the fact that it will be over one day. Our comfort in trials is that Jesus is here with me, in the boat with me. Jesus is here. I don't take comfort in knowing that it will be different one day. I don't even know if I have tomorrow. I take comfort as it says right here, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Saying that, do you know what? Me walking across this trail, me walking across this valley, maybe I will perish. But I will fear no evil, for you, O oh God, are with me. You, my shepherd, are with me. Faith is not believing you will never sink or you will never fall. Faith is knowing that if you do, Jesus is right there. That's faith. Faith isn't this blind uh, belief that no matter what you do, you'll succeed. Faith is knowing if you don't succeed, you better believe God is going to be right there holding you. He's going to be right there holding you. That's faith. That's faith. And this should change the entire way we look at trials. Because sometimes when we go through trials and it doesn't seem to stop and nothing seems to end, we think that there's something wrong with our faith when it doesn't end. Maybe I don't have enough faith in God that he'll alleviate this pain. But even Paul said, there's been a thorn in my side and God has decided not to remove it. There was trials that Paul struggled with that God just specifically said, I'm never going to take that away. That's going to be there. You see, there's a hope that when we get to heaven, we will be with Jesus and there will be no more imperfection in this world to be that thorn in our side. But meanwhile, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear nothing. Not because it will be over soon. We fear nothing for you are with me. For you are with me. You see, getting through storms is not about avoiding the waves. Getting through the storm is not avoiding the waves. It's being with God in them. It's being with God in them. 
You see, uh, F. Brook, um, just a famous theologian um, in the 1700s, he said this, My goal is God himself. Not joy, nor peace, nor even blessing, but himself, my God. Tis his to lead me there, not mine, but his, at any cost, dear Lord, by any road. Saying that peace, joy, happiness, these are not my goals in the Christian life. Jesus is. To be conformed to his image. To walk a life that is glorifying to him and that is walking beside him. You see, joy and peace, they're not my goals, but they are a byproduct of me following my goal, which is God. And as I walk and as I take every step through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear nothing because every step I take is behind my God. And joy and peace and happiness and flourishing and the green pastures and the still waters, these will be with you, ladies and gentlemen. I don't want you to lose hope. I don't want you to feel like, ah, I'm going to be in trials forever. I want you to know that there is going to be hope. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is always comfort for those who call upon Christ Jesus. But do you know what? Being with God in trials and being with God outside of trials, that's the life. That's the life not trying to get out of any specific life situation because it's hard, but saying, do you know what? This is hard, but I'm going to be with God, and so it's going to be all right. It's going to suck sometimes, but it's going to be okay. I love it in Genesis 15, 1, how God says this. He says, do not be afraid. I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Jesus said so himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It means that we don't use Jesus to get any rewards. He is our reward. We don't use God to get anywhere. He is our goal and our prize. Having that relationship with him will be better than any reward we receive from him. He is our reward. You see, that's the difference between God and, I would say, Allah. Yahweh. Our God, Yahweh, he, he's much different than Allah, right? If you read the Quran, uh, Allah will say this. He says, obey me, and maybe you'll get to go to heaven where I will give you jewels and wine and women. Yahweh says, love me, receive my love, obey me, and you'll get me. You see, God doesn't need to bribe you with anything. Allah does, because he's not that great, right? Allah needs to bribe people. No, if, if you read other religions, other gods, they need to bribe you. They need to tell you, hey, if you do this for me, I'll give you gold, I'll give you silver, I'll give you all of these things. But Yahweh, our God, he says, hey, if you live a life that I have told you to live, here's your reward, me, and I'm good enough. I'm good enough. Other religions, they need to bribe men. But Yahweh, he just says, listen, if you truly walk a life with me, you're not going to need anything else. You'll see. You'll see. And see, there are usually two reasons why trial, uh, there's three reasons actually, why trials usually hit. One, the world is broken and dangerous, right? The world is broken, fractured, and dangerous. So, so trials, we'll, we'll stumble upon trials every once in a while, right? We stumble upon them. Sometimes it happens uh, because just stuff happens, right? Accidents happen. Car accidents, right? Natural disasters. Cancer. 
These are things that it's not karma. It's not because anyone did anything wrong. This world is just broken and fractured. So these trials will hit. There's another form of trial where others bring about your suffering. Where people purposefully or unintentionally will hurt you and wrong you. Many of us have experienced this type of betrayal and trial. And then there's a third where we have brought the trials upon ourselves by sinning. And, and it's not God punishing us. It's just the natural result of our bad decisions, right? And so these are the three types of trials. And I love how, how David says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see the rod, the rod was just this huge, long wooden stick. It was, it was about this long. It was about an arm's length. The shepherd would wear it on his belt and it was just made of, it was just a piece, it was like a branch that was sharpened and it was very thick. And the rod was used when the, when the sheep would stray away and, or if the sheep were, was eating bad grass, eating something it shouldn't have because sheep will eat anything just like us humans were just like, sin. <laughs> and God's like, don't eat that, drop that. Like, don't eat that like a parent, like spit that out, right? And so, so, so the shepherd would have a rod where if the sheep was eating something, you could just go whack, right? You just go bam, right? Then the rod was also used to drive out wolves and lions that would come. You better believe that the shepherd would get that rod and just bam, get those wolves out, drive them away, protect his sheep. And both are protecting his sheep. The, the, the slapping of the head is just as much protecting as the wolf, right? As, as slapping the wolf. And we don't understand that sometimes, how God will discipline those he loves. We're like, God, why did you do this? He's like, you sinned, man. I'm helping you. I'm helping you. And then there's the staff. He says, you rod and your staff that come from you. You see the shepherd's staff. It was a guiding tool. So when, when the sheep would stray off like sheep do, the shepherd, it was this huge stick with kind of, you guys have seen it. Mary had a little lamb, you know, that little shepherd's staff. We all, we, all, we all know the shepherd's staff, right? And it was curved and he would just, the shepherd would just like loop around the sheep's head and just like, come on, come back here, right? And, and, and God does this. He guides us upon his word, Right? And, and, and so David says, your rod and your shepherd's staff, they comfort me knowing that you are full of justice and you will protect me from evil, but also knowing that if I do something wrong, you're going to discipline me quickly so I don't eat something that will kill me. And then your staff comforts me because as I'm guided by your word and your will and by who you are, I'll be comforted in knowing that the steps that I take are guided with wisdom and aren't going to lead me into trouble. See, we want to believe that the trials have this deep cosmic meaning. We want to believe that when we go through suffering, that there's this deep, huge, grand plan that God has. Sometimes this is true. But in reality, sometimes they happen because this world is broken or because we're stupid. But God uses them to refine us. And this is hard sometimes to swallow, that God sometimes will send trials our way, not because of this cosmic grand plan, but simply because he wants to refine you, and simply because he wants to use you in greater ways. And like a coach that will make you run miles and miles and miles, God will condition you. He'll put you through trials to get you through. And it says in James that God will never give us anything more than we can handle. And God will often send trials our way to refine us, to help us, 
to make us into better people. There's no other cosmic grand plan besides, hey, I want to use you. Will you allow me to condition you? Will you allow me to refine you? Will you allow me to use you? I'll close with a couple verses. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3, it says this. Paul says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Meaning this, that it is a blessing to suffer as Christ suffered so that we may be able to be used as Christ was used. And it is a blessing for us as believers to suffer together, not unloading our baggage on one another. However, saying, hey, I'm going through this trial. Hey, I'm going through this trial. Do you know what? I'll pray for you. Hey, I'll pray for you. Let's get through it. And let's see what God has to do through this. It's comforting to suffer with one another, suffer together. But we have to make sure not to be defined or define others by suffering. You see, trials bring us nearer to God and nearer to each other. And I'll close with this last verse and three things to think about. In Psalm 61, Psalm 61, verse 1, Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Such a beautiful, beautiful picture that David paints here. He says, he says this first. He says, hear my cry. He says, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. You see, if you abide in God in trials, if you simply desire to be next to him and seek him and pursue him when you're going through hard times, he's going to help you with three things. He's going to do three things to you, Christian, if you want to write these down. He's going to do three things to you. If you abide in him in your trials, if you seek him rather than getting mad at him and running away, no, I hate you. If, if, if we simply sit next to him in trials, he'll do this. First of all, he will set you upon the rock. It says, he says, set me upon the rock that is higher than I. And what this means, guys, is when we seek God in trials and when we seek his comfort in the hard times and we seek to be in his presence and lay our burdens at his feet, he will do this. He will set us upon the rock. He will set us apart from the dirtiness of the world. He will set us higher and higher. We will find refuge in his strong tower. He will begin to refine you. If you seek him, you see, if you don't see God in trials, what will happen is you'll lay in the dirt and get dirty. 
Because when I go through trials, there's always the temptation to sin because I feel justified in it. If I'm suffering, it's okay if I medicate it by doing what feels good. And doing what feels good may be talking back to others, right? Snapping at them, blaming people for your struggles. It may be when you're going through a hard time or when you're feeling lonely, you may mess up, gentlemen. Sometimes we feel like we have an excuse to sin, but if we seek God in our trials and in our hard times, and we seek him in his word, what will happen is he'll set us upon a rock and he'll protect us from the dirtiness that comes with trials when sin comes creeping at the door. Because Satan's just waiting for you to be weak when you're in trials. And so if you don't seek the Lord, sin's going to nab you. Jealousy, bitterness, lust, deceit, these things will grab you if you're not careful, if you don't seek the Lord. A second thing he says right here, he says, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. The second thing, if you seek him and you abide in him, what will happen is he will place you in his tent. He will place you in his tent. And what this means, basically, because at this time, there's a lot of nomadic people at this time. Especially David at the time where he was constantly on the move, running away from Saul. A tent was a home, and you would bring it with you wherever you went. God, in fact, was in a tabernacle when he was with the people of Israel in the wilderness. He was in a tabernacle, which was a tent. It was a mobile home, right? World's first mobile home. And, and, and so if we seek him, what will happen is wherever we are, we will have the tent of God, meaning we will be at home in him. God will finally let you know what it feels like to be at home in his presence, to be at home and comforted by him. Because many times when we go through trials, we feel isolated by God. We feel like maybe we've done something wrong or maybe he's cruel. So we separate ourselves from him. And what will happen is we'll feel loneliness when we hit trials. You guys feel that? When you go through hard times, feel that loneliness? It's not because anyone's neglected you. It's not because anything's wrong with you. It's because you've refused to seek home in God. It's because you refuse to take home in God. So if you seek the Lord in trials, rather than blame him or get angry at him, and you seek him, seek to pray, seek to abide in him, as we talked about in the first week, if you seek to just be with him and sit with him and get alone time with him, God will give you his tent. He'll make you at home in him, and you won't feel lonely I don't, I don't care who you are in this room. Everyone thinks that they struggle with loneliness and they're the only one that struggles with loneliness. Have you ever noticed that? Everyone thinks they're alone, but they're not alone in thinking that they're alone. <laughs> it's ironic, right? We all think we're alone, but we, we're together thinking we're alone. We all feel that when we go through hard times. We all feel that loneliness. Nobody gets me. Nobody loves me. Nobody wants me. If we seek the Lord, we'll find home in him. We'll find he wants me. He's proud of me. He loves me. It'll help you not to be bitter at other people or yourself. And lastly, it says right here, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Wings in the Bible are, are a symbol of God's flourishing, but also it's, it's a symbol of God's protecting grace. God's protecting grace. If you seek God in trials, he will surround you with so much grace. He'll surround you with so much grace, guys. 
If you seek to preach the gospel to yourself every single time you go through hard times, Jesus died for me, Jesus loves me, I'm not worthless, God has given me worth, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not full of blemish, I'm not dirty, I'm not unwanted, but I'm wanted and I'm purified by the Lord. And he wants me and he wants, he wants to love me and he wants to shower me with his grace. That is us taking refuge under his wings his gracious wings, because when we go through hard times, especially when we brought the hard times upon ourselves, we tend to think that we're not worthy of anyone's love. We're not worthy of God's grace. We're not worthy of his presence. But if we seek the Lord in trials, he'll surround us with his wings. He'll surround us with his grace. That's where so much comfort comes in. Comfort doesn't come in people. Comfort doesn't come in, in, in satisfying your needs and your pleasures. Comfort doesn't even come when the trials end. Comfort comes in the presence of our Lord. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and I'm also going to ask any of you, if tonight you just finally just want to let go, you finally just want to let go and you want to give your life to the Lord. And, and, and I don't mean it in a way like, let's do an altar call. I don't mean it in a way like, for those of you that want to receive the Lord, stand up right now and we all clap for you. That's great and there's a place for that. If you want to receive the Lord, we're going to say a prayer together as a congregation. And then we're going to take communion. And we're going to take communion. And the communion symbolizes here, Jesus Christ, who is God, loved you so much that he came down from his throne and he decided to live here on earth. Because the wages of sin is death. And no matter how much we try, we can't not sin. And one sin separates us from God. One sin. Because we don't want to worship a God who's like, you know what? I'm not that perfect. Come on in, right? We don't want to worship a God like that. We don't want to worship a God that's like our homeboy from college who tolerates just everything. We want to worship a holy God, right? He wouldn't be worthy of worship if he just let anybody into heaven because he wouldn't be totally holy. Therefore, not worthy of our worship. God is perfect. He is holy. And we're not because we continue to choose other things besides him. But the good news is that Christ came down. He said, I'm going to live this life. I'm going to live it perfectly. And instead of killing you and I, and instead of holding our sin against us, God instead put all of our sin and all of our punishment on Jesus. And he died on the cross. And the punishment wasn't the fact that the cross hurt, which it did. It was brutal. But the punishment and the the brutality of the cross was that every bad thing you've ever done, past, present, and future, was all poured upon his shoulders. And he had to feel the weight of that. But he had to feel the weight of that so you wouldn't have to. And so his blood was shed. And he said, this is my blood that was shed for you. And he said, this is my covenant. Take and drink of it. And when we take communion, guys, it's not just, oh, let's remember the cross. It's us partaking in the mission of God, but it's us partaking in his grace 
and us saying, I recognize the perfect life that was broken for me, and I recognize that the blood that you shed is you inviting me into the life of Jesus, into the life of the church. And so we're going to pray, and if you want to receive the Lord, whether it be for the first time, or whether you did it yesterday and you need to do it again right now, because I need to choose God every day. I need to choose God every day. It's a daily decision I have to do. So we're going to take communion. We're going to worship. We're going to lay our burdens at his feet. We're going to call upon his name. And we're going to be comforted by our God and the fact that he is so gracious to us. Amen? If you would, as a church, I believe it's so precious to pray together. As a church, it's so precious to pray together. So if you just need to repent tonight, as I do, just say this prayer with me. It's not a voodoo prayer, right? It's, an, it's, not, a, it's not witchcraft, right? We're just, we're praying to our God together with the same words and, and just imploring and, and putting our hearts out to the Lord. So if you'll, if you'll say this prayer with me and just repeat after me, if, if you so choose, if you need this tonight. Father, my shepherd, I need you I'm imperfect, but you see me as perfect through Jesus. I want to receive your grace. I want to receive the life that you have for me. I repent of my sins. I turn away from them. I give you my heart. I want to die with you, and I want to live with you. And if the boat sinks... I'm happy that you're here with me. And when trials hit, help me, Lord, for you alone satisfy. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, guys, we have four songs of worship. Take this when you feel ready. You don't all have to come up at once. This is communion if you want it. If you're giving your life to the Lord for the first time, take communion and remember the sacrifice that the Lord has given you and you and I can pray after. Let's worship like we've never worshiped before. We may die tomorrow, right? Let's worship like today's the last day, man. Let's just pour our hearts before the Lord and find comfort in his presence, amen? Amen, let's worship.